You are now listening to Trillionaires, a race ahead. Great recession did not affect everyone in the same way. A new report shows that the wealth gap between whites, blacks, and Hispanics are the widest they've been since the government started keeping track 25 years ago. What's good, everybody? Welcome to Trillionaires, a race ahead, a podcast that explores how racism, politics, and economics all contribute to the racial wealth divide in America. I'm your host, Danny Blue, and this is episode five. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again, uh, sharing the show, rating the show, um, following the Instagram page at Trillionaires Pod. Please continue to support in any way you can. Continue to share this knowledge and have conversations with friends and families about the things that I talk about because it's something that is not talked about historically amongst, um, you know, black folks or just people in general. Also, I want you guys to do research on your own. Don't take everything I'm saying at face value. Um, I leave things out sometimes I don't even realize after I'm done recording. So please continue to dive into these topics and do your own research and form your own conclusions. You know, I don't have all the answers. I'm not the end all be all. So definitely I just want to to move the needle forward, raise the consciousness level amongst our community, get us starting to understand, you know, what's happened to us so we can then start to to truly move forward with new ideas and new ways to 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 bring us together. As far as this episode goes, I wanted to talk about how the government created the ghettos of America through a concept known as redlining and why that was so detrimental to our community from a social perspective and from an economic and wealth perspective. So this is a jam-packed episode. I try to keep it to 30 minutes. Strap on your thinking caps, turn the volume up, and let's get into episode five. Do you think a Negro family moving here will affect the community as a whole? Definitely. In what way? I think that, well, the property values will immediately go down if uh, they are allowed to move in here in any number. Can you give a basis for that judgment? Yes, we used to live in Washington, D.C., and we saw a very good example of that there. The repetition of an experience that was distasteful. Is there to be no escape from living near Negroes? And what of the dream of middle-class respectability? If a Negro family can afford what you can afford, how do you justify your feeling of superiority? So let's take a step back. Last episode, episode four, we talked about the need to practice group economics as a people in order to start to build an economic floor that can sustain us and our liberation, right? Creating a, a, an economy that was separate from the mass society. Um, investing and supporting businesses that meet our basic needs, but we're black owned. Uh, and, and using that as a way to rebuild our own communities. Well, I, I wanted to take a step back from that and talk about how we even got to the point where our communities and schools are so segregated. And where this concept of the, the hood and the quote unquote ghetto, how that became synonymous with black folk. So in order to do that, we have to take 
I look back in 1934, just right after the Great Depression, FDR is the president. And you, you heard me talk about this, this program before. It was called the New Deal. He passed this, this historic government intervention program that created things like welfare, social security, um, created minimum wage, created a standing work, uh, a standard work week. Uh, and it also created two government organizations, one called the Public Works uh, Administration, or PWA, and the other one was the Federal Housing Administration, better known today as the FHA. So as a part of the New Deal, FDR at the time is thinking about a way to revitalize the economy. Great Depression happened, uh, 1929, 30s. One fifth of American citizens are poor, uh, living in poverty, and FDR is trying to think of some way to to get Americans working again and take care of the quote unquote working class. The New Deal has been heralded uh, in its creation of what we know as the American dream and the American middle class. What the New Deal did was, and the FHA uh, did was, is go to banks and pretty much say, look, we're gonna start building houses out in the, in the suburbs, we're gonna build these master developed communities, we're gonna incentivize land developers uh, to build these communities, we're gonna give them money to build these communities, and we want to guarantee the loans for people that are applying for these mortgages. They created the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. Prior to its creation, homes were at the time going for around eight to $10,000. Prior to the creation of the FHA and this 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, you would get five to 10 years max to pay off your home. So for the majority of working-class Americans, both black and white, home ownership was something that was widely unattainable in their early years. Uh, it was something that you could get later in, later in your life. You saved up enough money, but creating the 30-year uh, fixed-rate mortgage gave people opportunity to, to put small down payments on an $8,000 house and get the rest of their lives to pay it off. That's how it was marketed, right? So the Public Works Administration, while the FHA was working with banks and working with land developers, started to begin, pub, started to uh, construct public housing projects. Places like Cabrini Green in Chicago, for example, Marcy Projects in, in Brooklyn. These are examples of public housing. But what they did was is build separate public housing for black and whites. Now, what does this have to do with black folks and wealth inequality? Well, what the FHA did, what the banks did, was incentivize developers to go out in the suburbs, build these single-family cookie-cutter houses. You've seen you've, you've seen them before, neighborhoods in which all the houses look the same. Those are examples of master, uh, master plan and developed communities. Uh, the government would loan these developers money, and in the terms would say these homes are not to be sold to anyone outside of the race they were intended for. And you could probably imagine it's the 30s. They're intended for white folks. 
So the creation of the middle class and the creation of suburbs by FDR and the New Deal was largely created to, one, fund the expansion of whites outside of inner cities into the suburbs, and two, make it possible for them to generate wealth. Not only were working class whites available to get homes in these suburbs, but also white European immigrants that came over to this country was able to take advantage of these low uh, rate mortgages as well. Now, you may be saying, well, Danny, you said that segregation isn't a bad thing. Maybe it's all right that they live separate from us. And segregation in housing and and segregation in schools, which we know now um, housing and schools are more segregated now more than they were 50 years ago, isn't necessarily bad socially. Where the issue comes in is economically. And the way in which the government and banks would go on to systematically continue to perpetuate inequality amongst black folks and systematically would continue to prohibit blacks from generating any type of wealth was by creating what we know now as redlining. So banks and the federal government did studies on 235 cities across the country. All the major cities that you know of, Atlanta, Baltimore, Detroit, Chicago, New York. And what they would do is they would color code the maps. The green areas of the map usually would be the county suburban areas were deemed as um, great investment opportunities. Those were mostly where whites live. Yellow areas were working class uh, communities that were on on the rise, or on the come up, for lack of a better word. But the red areas of the map would be deemed as too risky for government investment and too risky for local developments. And they just happen to be the areas in which black people live. So blank banks were told that, listen, you're not to, to give out any mortgages to people that live in these areas. The community is far, far too risky. Um, all black people live there. And the stereotype was created in which the communities were um, dirty. The, the crime weight was high. But those things didn't come until after these maps were created because now state, local governments had justification. They were told by the federal government, look, these areas are too risky for you to put any type of investment in. So we're not going to send sanitation um, to pick up their trash as often as we do in the white communities. We're not going to send street sweepers to to clean their streets. We're not going to fill the potholes. We're not going to um, tear down uh, dilapidate these dilapidated housing and build new ones. We're not going to put any type of community centers or uh, give them any type of resources. Right? It's far too risky. We don't. We don't want to. We don't. We don't want to risk losing money. 
in those areas. So we're just going to leave them alone. Essentially is, is what would happen with redlining. Now, you may think, oh, oh, like, yeah, but I mean, how how bad could it really be, right? Well, from the period of 1934 to when the FHA was created to 1962, the federal government would give out over $120 billion in home loans. And that's $120 billion in 1934 to 1962 money. Today, that's worth roughly a trillion dollars. So they would give out a trillion dollars in today's dollars in home loans over the span of 30 years, yet only 2% of the money would go to non-white folks. So blacks were largely constrained to inner cities. Now, let's take an even further step back. Why is this so important? Prior to this creation of the FHA and prior to the creation of the suburbs as a whole, black and white working class Americans lived together. Most of these people worked in, in factories, um, in warehouses, shipyards. They worked in industry, especially in the North prior to the Great Migration. And they're working class. They weren't able to afford cars. So they had to live close to public transportation, buses and trains in order for them to to travel about. So blacks and whites largely live together. When the suburbs were created, that gave white working class Americans a way to get out. Now I'm going to take an even further step back and talk about what's going on in, socially at this time and why I feel like this these suburbs were created for white folks and why I feel like um, blacks were held out. So prior to the 30s, prior to the Great Migration, the majority of blacks, over 90% of us, are living in the South. We're working in agriculture as sharecroppers, as tenant farmers. And we flee to the North to get away from Jim Crow segregation, to get away from the violence of the KKK and the inequality and severe racism of the South. We go to the North, but you have to think about it this way. Take this mindset now. The North didn't have a lot of black folks, right? So now you see all these black people coming to cities like Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Detroit, and white folks are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're coming up here competing for our jobs because black people are willing to work for less than whites because they were already getting paid. They were getting paid nothing in the South, right? So anything above that is, is gold. So they're willing to work for less. Thus, they start to compete with whites in the North for jobs. And the North is like, whoa, we need, we need to do something. We can't let this happen. They're not about to just come up here and take our jobs. And think about it this way, right? So Jim Crow, Black Code, slavery, all that was created as a way to control a growing black population in the South. There were more blacks in some Southern cities than there were whites. But yet you would never know it because of the way the laws were created to keep blacks separated and subordinate. 
So the North saw that and said, all right, what, what can we do to control this growing population and make sure that we continue to maintain our superiority? Insert housing segregation. So there's this saying that goes, um, in the South at the time, you could live as close as you wanted to whites, but you couldn't get too big. In the North is, you can get as big as you want, you just can't get too close to whites. <laughs> so that is the thinking that goes behind the creation of the FHA, the creation of these 30-year fixed mortgages, the creation of redlining, and the creation of the suburbs. Where literally in the FHA policies, it said, no, you are eligible for this loan as long as you keep these communities for the race that they were intended for. And I'm paraphrasing. Realtors were a part of this game. Blacks would go and, and, and try to purchase homes in white neighborhoods and realtors would just flat out tell them, look, I don't think they're, they're gonna be selling to black folks. Neighbors in the community will make it extremely difficult and uncomfortable for blacks looking to move into white communities. So everyone in the North was working together to quote unquote control the growing black population. But Danny, why is why are black people even trying to live amongst white people at this time? Have we not learned anything from our time in the South? Have we not learned that we need to be together? And yeah, maybe we didn't know it at the time, but in hindsight, we knew that we should have stayed in our neighborhoods, right? Yeah, we should have. But there are things that made that extremely difficult but they were all systematically created. So why is redlining so important, right? Because when you mark off an area and say that it's too risky to invest in, saying that red red is a very strong color warning. Don't don't go there. Stop. What is that what does that cause? One, businesses are going to leave the area. So there's jobs that are gone. So now, you have black people there that are working class. It's harder for them to get jobs. So majority of them now living there are poor. You build public housing in those communities, which is overcrowded, underfunded. It's not it's not kept up very well. And you do you give them the bare minimum they need to survive. The proximity to healthy foods, uh, the fresh foods, all that is 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 taken away. All that's going to the suburbs now. The jobs are in the suburbs now. The businesses are in the suburbs now. And on top of that, so are the quote-unquote good schools. All the white kids in the suburbs. At least the, the ones that with parents that can afford to buy homes, which is 70% of, of white Americans. So now we can't even depend on a fair and equitable education in inner cities anymore. We know from prior episodes how schools get their funding. It's largely, schools are largely funded by property tax dollars. Property tax dollars are largely tied to the value of the homes and land in a community. If you say whiteness equals superiority and Blackness, just blackness, 
equals risk equals inferiority equals poverty then when you move all the white folks out of inner city communities and the only people left are black what happens to the value of the property in that community just from a systematic policy of you color coding it and saying that it's risky because there are black folks there inherently the property value goes down because there's no investment federally and there's no investment from major businesses or corporations anymore they leave so now schools suffer even more schools are already segregated and and unequal at this time but they're even they become even more segregated and the opportunity for economic mobility suffers in places like Charlotte and Baltimore economic mobility is the worst in America still to this day what, what economic mobility is is pretty much your ability if you're born in poverty to move up the social or class ladder you can go from poverty to middle class if a city has very low economic mobility that means it's much harder for a child born in poverty to get himself out of poverty so this is what redlining creates it's a cycle right i, I want to paint this picture for you one more time just so you can understand it FHA is created by FDR. We're going to revitalize the American economy by making home ownership attainable for working class Americans. And working class Americans means white folks. Okay, that, 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 that's, that's, that's the code. We're going to give money to developers. And what are developers going to say? I don't want the money. No, most of the developers are white too. So they're going to say, cool, I ain't got no problem building just some white, on, white only communities. That's cool with me give me these few millions and let's do business black folks who are moving to the north working earning a living earning less than whites but working just as hard those that are able to save money and want to buy a house to just provide better opportunity that's all that's all black folks wanted is just better opportunity and they saw that and being close to whites historically the in this country if you are a person of color the the closer you are to white folks the more opportunity you have so i can't blame people at the time for wanting to leave black communities and search for better opportunity in in white areas but what i can say is that you did exactly what they wanted you to do. This system of, of, of housing discrimination and segregation was largely created, as I mentioned earlier, to control us. To not only control us, but to integrate our dollars and also make us dependent. Since we've got into this country, we have been fully dependent on whites to provide our living. 98% of us work in white businesses. That means we depend on them to pay us to live. 
we live in white we are, we are told that we have to live in white areas for us to just get equal education and for a child that is poor living in the ghetto education is their only outlet so now we're at a position where what do we choose do we choose the greater good of of the group and say look we need to to, to stick together work work out work together and do this ourselves or do we say ah i don't really want to do that i don't have time to do that i can't i can't risk that i need to get i need i need to get to the suburbs so i can put my kids in a good school so maybe they can have a better life than i did and that is the decisions that my mother had to make that her mother had to make that your family has had to make hard decisions that if you are able to get out of the the quote-unquote ghetto if you are able to get out of the hood you have to that that, that's what we've been told that we have to and it's not because of any wrongdoing on our own our community is bad do we do we have a, a personal responsibility in our communities being the way that they are stereotypically of course we do of course we there are things that we can do to clean up our own communities to 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 fix houses in our communities to stop the flow of drugs in our communities but what redlining did in the creation of ghettos did was far more psychological in the sense that it made us question and it made us doubt that we could thrive or that we could have true opportunity living amongst our own. <laughs> let, me, let me break that down for you. It made us question if we needed, if we could truly live amongst our own and thrive. It made us look down at our surroundings. It made us question our surroundings and it put white suburbia and living close to white folks going to school with white folks it put that on a pedestal systematically that's what it did redlining made our community so unlivable it made getting out of those communities so hard that the first opportunity we had we booked it out. The best of the best left to go to suburbia because they had no confidence that their children could thrive, that the community could thrive. It was a stopgap. That's, that's, that's the true crime of the creation of of ghettos through redlining is that it made us question that it made us doubt our own it made us look down on our own and look look to another group as aspirational that's why that's why when we say we make it out the hood we made it we live in close to white folks just think about that thinking for a second we say we made it when we leave the hood that's the true crime of, of redlining and the creation of ghettos. It, it stopped us from 
from generating any type of wealth because we couldn't buy homes. Banks wouldn't lend to us. And that's still practiced to this day. So you can probably imagine that this isn't able to go on for long. All right, the government finally get wind of, of what's going on. They're receiving all these complaints. And after Martin Luther King Jr. is killed in 1968, Linda B. Johnson passes uh, the Fair Housing Act, which is supposed to end housing discrimination. And legally, that is that is law, federally. You're not supposed to deny people access to a home because of their race, gender, um, religion, etc. That is that is federal law. But 50 years after that law was put in place, black ownership is actually lower than it was prior to legal housing discrimination. How does that happen? Because <laughs> the government, as it's done in the past, put something on the books and has no plan or way to actually enforce it. How do you prove discrimination? One, it's extremely hard to. So it was literally just put on the books to shut us up. All right, we're not, we're not gonna talk about it no more. Y'all got civil rights. We got the Fair Housing Act. It's truly nothing else that we can do for y'all. We've done everything. But how is it that 50 years after its creation, only 42% of black people own homes and over 70% of white Americans own homes? How is it possible that blacks are three times more likely to be denied a mortgage loan today, even if they have the same income, even if the neighborhood they wanna live in is the same, even if the house size they're applying for is the same, even if their credit score is the same as a white applicant, why are they three times more likely to get denied? Because um, the um, uh, America and the government of America has never admitted to these systematic issues. They have never admitted to this inherent bias that we have towards white folks in this country. They have not admitted that the foundation of this country is built on race inequality. And if we can't even admit that, how can we draft policy to address it and enforce it and make true change? Have, have things changed in America? Have things got progressive for black folks in the 400 years since we've been here? Sure. Things are better than they were 400 years ago. Socially, the needle has moved. But economically and in wealth creation, things are pretty much the same. And they're that way because of policies like this. It's so important. Housing discrimination and housing segregation is so important that if we were to create a public policy that was successful in eliminating racial disparities in home ownership rates amongst blacks, our wealth would grow by $32,000. The wealth gap that we have with whites would shrink by 30% just by eliminating the 
disparities in home ownership. So if, if black folks, if 70% of black folks own homes, just like 70% of white folks did, our wealth would grow by $32,000. If the returns on home ownership were the same in black and white neighborhoods, our wealth would grow an additional 17,000 and the gap would shrink an additional 16%. So we could all we we could nearly reduce the racial wealth gap with amongst blacks and whites by 50 percent almost if we were to just solve these systematic racial disparities in home ownership for the majority of Americans. Owning a home is the key to generational wealth, real estate is the key to generational wealth. Owning some type of land or a home that you can then pass down, that it could accrue value, uh, you could build equity into, that is the American dream. You could become wealthy by owning a home in America. That's how it's been marketed to us. But blacks have been systematically held out of that, making the gap that we have with whites continue to grow every single day. Studies have said it would take over 230 years for that gap to close if nothing changes. And our wealth could go to zero. We could have zero wealth in the next 40 years if nothing changes. That's why this is so important. Because now we're at a point where if we continue to get denied for loans and mortgages, we were blacks were subject to a lot of the predatory lending and subprime mortgages that led to the Great Recession. So now blacks are fearful, and rightfully so. Why would I continue to go to these white banks that are going to continue to deny me for mortgages, going to mess up my credit? I'm going to continue to try to uh, apply for homes in quote-unquote good neighborhoods, which are white, and I'm going to be told, ah, the house is sold oh, you have to pay an extra $5,000. Oh, it's no longer available because they don't want to sell to you. So now home ownership amongst our group is on the decline. It's at a 50-year low. So how do we fix it? I don't know yet. It's something that I intend to, to research and study prior to the next episode. And I think episode six is going to be a part two of this conversation in which I pitched some solutions and how we could start to to fix this problem systematically. Socially, we know what we need to do. Work together, start to spend money together. We can no longer just rush to leave our neighborhoods and our communities, all right? We have to take some responsibility for the community that we live in. And we can no longer depend on anybody else to come into our community and fix it up. We have to do the hard work ourselves. And that is something that historically we haven't we haven't always been willing to do. But now it is literally do or die. If if we want if we wanna if we want to end this 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 stigma, this stereotype of the hood and the ghetto, it's gonna be on us to repair. It's gonna be on us to to be maintenance men and, and, and fix up these boarded houses. It's gonna be on us to to renovate these homes. It's gonna be on us to take responsibility for the drugs that come in our communities and put in place codes of conducts that limit that in our communities. If you wanna sell drugs, do it do it across town. Go mess up the suburbs. Don't mess up don't mess up our communities. We already messed up enough. We're trying to repair. That's all I got, man. 
Let me know what you think below. Hopefully you learned something. And as always, black love does not equal hate of any kind. Until next time. Can't express how I curb the tactics. Guesses, evidence of a divine presence. Blessings, held me down at times I seem reckless. Effort, got an L but got an E for effort. Stretched it, dropped him off in the Mojave Desert.